Well, great. Have a seat. Have a seat. So you can give your uh, Thanksgiving hugs and appreciations after service or come tonight at the 5 o'clock deal. That's really cool to come. But many of us, I would trust all of us, are going to be seated around a family table this week for Thanksgiving. And so we're going to talk about Thanksgiving a little bit today. But I thought I would take you first to a family table. Now that I have all of your valuable attention, because trust me, nobody likes texting and twittering and snap imaging as much as I do, I just want to take this opportunity to tell you how thankful I am for all of you. I'm thankful for this meal, because nobody makes green bean casserole like your mama. And I'm thankful for this family, watching you grow and follow your dreams. It's an honor to pray for each of you when I go to bed every night. And I'm thankful I can still chew my own food. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you go next. Huh? Go. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, first of all, I'm not as thankful for the green bean casserole as this guy is. (laughs) But I am thankful. I'm thankful that God blessed me the dad. With Thanksgiving coming so quickly this year, it seems like the pace isn't quite right. And some of you um, have yet to figure out how you're going to navigate uh, Thanksgiving week. Maybe uh, you're starting to think about the Christmas season, all that's a part of it. But I tell you what, I think you would agree with me when all said and done through all the years, the thing that you remember most is being together with loved ones and being able to encourage and spend time together. The gifts do not last but those memories do because relationships are sacred. 
In light of Thanksgiving week, I thought we could just spend some moments today and pause uh, to be thankful and have a spirit of gratitude, and to do so by going to the Word of God and understanding, most importantly, what we need to be grateful for. The story is told in different places of Scripture of Jesus with individuals that he would reach out and touch and encourage, and one group of those was a group of people that were called leopards. And leopards were individuals who had really bad skin disease. But leopards were individuals who uh, were seen as outcasts. In fact, they were told that they needed to declare themselves to other people, unclean, unclean. And so Jesus had a heart and dear towards those who uh, had these uh, broken skin bodies with uh, pores and um, aberrations and other kinds of really not just bad-looking stuff and bad-feeling stuff, but it smelled bad. I want to look at a couple stories. The first one I'm just going to read, it comes out of a passage in Mark 140. And I'm going to translate it in the way that a guy by the name of Bill Griffin translated it. Hello, I'm a leper. A man responded out from behind a building and stood right in front of Jesus. Please don't run away from me, Jesus. What's the matter with your skin, asked Jesus. Can't you see I'm covered with running sores and crusty scabs? No one wants to look at me. My face is so horrible. What do you want me to do? You can make me better. I know you can, said the man, falling on his knees in front of Jesus. If you don't, I'll scratch myself to death. And Jesus felt sorry for the poor man. Don't touch me, said the man. That's how you get it. I'm not afraid to touch you. Jesus reached down and took a hold of the man's arms and pulled him to his feet. The itching was gone. The sores started to dry. The scabs began to fall off. Thank you, thank you, thank you, shouted the man. What can I do to thank you? You can go to the temple, show yourself to a priest, and say a prayer of thanks to God. Yes, yes, I will, I will, promised the man hurrying off. Uh, one more thing, said Jesus. Anything, anything, said the man. You don't have to tell anyone what I just did. I won't tell a soul then, said the man as he skipped down towards Jerusalem. But the man was so happy and the walk to the temple was so long that he forgot and told everyone he met. Then all the other leopards along the road began to look for the wonderful man with the healing touch. All of us have experienced at some point in life being ostracized, being cut off, or feeling like maybe we were not unclean, but maybe we weren't measuring up. And even if you don't feel that way with other people, sometimes deep down in the interior part of your life, you're guilt-ridden. And you go, look, I can't believe I did that. Or I can't believe I'm, I'm, I'm so blind to, to those kinds of things that I need to be taken initiative to, and I'm so self-centered. Last week, we, we finished up our series on the crossing and talking about the self-life and, and the 31 kings of self. And I don't know if you spent time refreshing through that. Some of you picked up the, the article that we had in the back. But, it, you know, when you take an honest evaluation of your life, we are truly lost people. And there's a spirit of uncleanness about all of us. And that uncleanness may not be exterior scabs and, and pus and, and brokenness on the physical nature of our body, but the interior part. And leprosy is sort of seen this way as scripture. 
It represents the sin that we have in our life. And here's an example of a leopard being healed by Jesus and this leopard being tremendously grateful and thankful for the healing touch of Jesus. And so one of the things I really want to direct us to is we sort of align our family holidays and this week of Thanksgiving aright is to align ourselves with a spirit of gratitude towards what Jesus Christ has done or can do for you in your life concerning the interior issues. Because we are not people who are without hope. And we live in a world of leprosy. And we see it all around. And we have a Savior for a world in need. One who can take wrongs and make them right. One who can forgive that which is broken. One who can take all that guilt that stirs in your mind or regrets and give you a new precipice upon which to stand of strength and freedom. So I want to look at a second story then of leopards. And this is uh, only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. This story is in Luke 17, beginning with verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. The nation of Israel sort of was divided between the southern part, Judah, and the northern part where the Sea of Galilee was. But right in the tier, the middle, was no man's land or a circle of area where the Samaritans live. And Samaritans were known as the outcast as well. So this is an interesting story because it's sort of a double outcast. These are uh, the migrants, the non-Jews, the people that shouldn't uh, you know, be dealt with that are sitting there. And he's making his way through no man's land or the untouchable land. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy, leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, why did these leopards do that? I mean, the guy's just sort of walking through the Samaritan borderline, and they know who he is. Why do you think they knew who he was? Because word was getting around that there was someone who could heal leprosy. Someone who could touch them. Someone who can make them whole. And so they cried out in a nice, humble kind of way. And you see it some other places in Scripture. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And what do you think Jesus did? Excuse me, I'm on my way somewhere. I don't have time. There's a lot of you. That would take an awful lot of my time. Ten needy people. I don't know if I can contribute time towards ten needy people on this busy day. It's a holiday week, you know, that I have. What does Jesus do? Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go away. No, you're sleeping already. No, that's not what it says. It says, go, but go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, why did he say, go show yourself to the priest? Well, the reality is, if you had leprosy, you were known as the outcast, you were an untouchable, nobody was supposed to be around you, you had to go get a clean bill of health and signed off, and so you had to go to the priest. Now, you really weren't healed of leprosy. There are some situations and circumstances that, but a leopard was in, unable by themselves to really uh, have anything to do. There was no, uh, with their uh, cleansing or their healing, there was no ointments or oils you go put yourself on, no ER you can go to, whatever. So, you know, when he said, go and show yourself to the priest, it was like, well, why would we do that? We're not healed. 
But they by faith turned and they began going, walking to the priest. And as they went, them believing Jesus could make them whole, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. All right, you got the picture? So here these 10 needy leopards are. They see Jesus walking through uh, this borderline area. They cry out, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus, he gives them attention. And as he's given them attention, he just merely says to him, as he did sort of the centurion, when the centurion came to him and asked for healing, he says, yo, your faith has, 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 has made the person well. He, he was dialing into the faith. The power wasn't that he necessarily even needed to touch them or those kinds of things. It's like, do you believe that you can be healed? Do you have faith? You have faith in me. You call me master. And so they turned. And as they turned, can you just sort of picture the scabs and, and, the, and, and the brokenness of their skin just becoming whole again? Get a picture of that. Some of you got some scabs on you right now, right? Because of a cut or a bruise or something. It just dissipates. It heals. And as they're going... And you know, I, I don't know how I would respond with it, but as they're going, they're like, oh, yeah, we've got to go to the priest. And so they're on their way, but they are excited without doubt, but they're excited because of themselves, sort of, and maybe what this new day would mean. And so they started thinking about, oh, what all they could do now, or they wouldn't have to be the outcast. And yeah, they'll go get, you know, the bill of clean health from the priest. Maybe some of them, though, were sort of distracted by everything else. And they were like, well, this is going to be a long walk. Well, thank you. I'm glad I'm going to kill this. That's a long walk to see the priest. Like, why didn't he order an Uber or something? I mean, you know, and someone else says, man, I'm clean now, but uh, this is a raggedy coat. I just need to get me a new coat or something. Or, man, I'm starting to feel a little hungry now. I, I heard that he used to feed people, too, but we didn't get any of that. I, I don't know how long it took them after the scabs fell off before they started doing what? Grumbling and complaining, looking at what they were deficient in. How long does it take for you after something great happens in your life that you see God doing for you to pick back up the grumbling edge or the discontentment edge? The next time you see somebody else that has something that you don't have, you start to go, oh, that'd be nice. I wonder how they got that. Not realizing all that's been given to you. And so I, I don't know about the ten when they're walking away and where their minds went and all that kind of thing. But we do know that one out of the ten, who was a Samaritan, the others maybe Jews or whatever, the one out of the ten Samaritan who was an untouchable as a Samaritan, who was untouchable as one who had leprosy, he came running back to Jesus and he began to thank him. One of them. One of them. Just, just one. One out of ten. One, one of them. He saw himself healed. And he came back praising God in a loud voice. I won't demonstrate that for you because it might wake you up too much. But I tell you what. If you're healed of something you never thought you could be healed of and you've been made whole and you've now been placed in a position in society where you can pursue all the dreams and, and aspirations you want and God has taken that which has been 
the untouchable thing in your life and buried in the deepest sea and you were new, you'd be shouting in a loud voice as well. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. Thank you. What do you think Jesus was thinking in that moment? Oh, you're welcome. It's not me. It's God. You can't really say that. You're welcome. I am God. I did that. <laughs> Jesus asked, um, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise up. Your faith has made you well. This is Jesus, friends. Jesus. Jesus touching ten leopards, healing them of that which was making them untouchable, sending them on their way for a brand new life. And only one came back to thank him. And where did Jesus' mind go? Well, it might have went like, weren't there ten cleansed? Didn't that work? Did I not do the right thing? Weren't all ten cleansed? No, he knew all ten were cleansed. One of those rhetorical questions. Jesus asked them to all of us sometimes. He says, weren't there ten that were cleansed? Where are the other nine? Jesus' thoughts were in a disposition of gratitude and, and, and pleasure with the one who came back to thank him, but his thoughts were with the other Ninety percent. The other ninety percent. And so that's sort of what I just entitled today. I decided just to call it the other ninety percent. And now I'll say this, then you can leave if you want. We are all part of the ninety percent. Because we fail. We fail to thank Jesus for that most important and critical moment in our life when he touched us. He forgave us. He cleansed us. He made us whole. And he turned us, who were the untouchables, into his very children. When was the last time you fell at your knees, if you're a Christ follower this morning, and said in a loud voice, Thank you, Jesus for saving my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for making me whole. Thank you, Jesus, for giving to me thy rich salvation so great and free. Maybe you were doing that as we sang today. That's why it's good to come together corporately and acknowledge that because we come together for the purpose of worshiping Jesus. We mentioned it last week with some of our struggle with our issues. Whether sin or head in that direction, the self-life, and we get caught up in this consumer Christianity and we go to a church to check out what the church has for us. Friends, we don't go to church for what it has for us. I trust you gain something. Rich community, encouragement, reflection in God's word, the opportunity, um, to meet new friends, see old friends. 
But foremostly, we come to worship Jesus for what He has done. And when you pray, foremostly, you should pray for what Jesus has already done for you in your life as a believer. Don't be the other 90%. You come to Jesus, He receives that and warm affirmation, blessing in return. But if you don't come to Jesus on a regular basis, He goes, weren't there nine that were cleansed? This is a word to myself as well because our minds get all caught up on the next thing or what's not working. And you just need to pause and be grateful. We're, you know, doing all kinds of things, things that uh, are important without question. But sometimes the things that we do, whether we're texting or watching a video or out just on our own errands and our own time, we fail to realize the presence of Jesus with us. And we just need to be in communion with Him, with a spirit and a heart of gratitude. The thankless tend to act as though they and their circumstances are entirely self-made. You know, at, um, every now and then you'll hear stories, uh, tragic stories. Uh, there was one recently of a plane going down and people dying on a plane. Sometimes, though, you hear stories about planes going down and people are uh, saved. They are not harmed. They live through the tragedy. I was following something up a couple months ago on a flight that went down in the Midwest a number of years back in 89, and, and the plane tumbled and, and blew up, but yet you know, a bunch of people were saved out of this plane, but others died, and, and you get out, and, and you hear the backstory of all of it, and you realize, oh my gosh, the, the pilots lost all hydraulic lines because an engine blew, and there was no way to control the plane, and that which they did to even get it back to land, and to be able to have it land and that many people saved is a, a miracle in itself. How possibly could they have done that without just nose diving? And, and there was people that were, you know, gravely disappointed, of course, because they lost loved ones. But how many were so thankful to be able to go up to the pilots and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did. Remember the Scully guy that landed the plane on the Hudson River? I'm like, get out. How you do that? And they all walked down to the plane and started surfing on the Hudson. Thank you, thank you. And he sort of came famous for it, right? Well, there's another time, there was an Eastern airline a number of years ago, and every single engine went out of the plane, and they were headed down into the ocean. And at the last moment, one of the engines started up, and they avoided destruction. Who do you thank then? Who do you thank then? There's no pilot that did that. You thank the Lord God Almighty. And today, it's very easy for us just to be busy, 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 distracted, doing all of our different things. And we fail to thank the one who gave us the ability to even get up and have the heartbeat this morning. I got up this morning. All of us get up in the morning, right? And sometimes you get up in the morning and you feel a little sluggish. And you say to yourself, it's over? Did I sleep? What time is it? And then you go, what day is it? Oh, it's Sunday. I'm on. 
That wasn't one of my days. I got up today, and I felt really good. How did I get up? Something in my own doing? Self-made? No. God kept the ticker going. I got up this morning by his grace and his favor. Thank you, Lord, that I get to have a Thanksgiving Sunday with my church family and new friends. You made me alive today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. But our world's filled with thankless people, and in part, I believe the reason that we have thankless people, and sometimes we can fall into it, is because we believe we have made the things that we enjoy for ourselves. And we have not. The very competent mind that you have, the skill set that you bring to the table, gifts of the Lord. The education you got to get yourself there, something the Lord enabled you to gain. Every turn, a spirit of thankfulness. Because the things that we have in life are not a result of circumstances or because we made them. The thankless, the other 90%. But the thankful, the thankful see the providence of God in all they hold. They believe it is not how much we have or have not in life, but what we see as the source of what we have or don't have as the real issue. You see, with this, you can sit down at a table, and whether you have a meager amount or a healthy amount this week, you can give the same amount of thanksgiving. Different times when I've been in other countries, on mission trips, those kinds of things, I've sat down at a meager table. And the heartfelt thanks that's given around that meager table is as rich, if not richer, and more powerful than anything I experience in the States because they realize their small provision has been given to them from God. The story is told of Tony Campolo. Anybody in here know who Tony Campolo is? When I was growing <laughs> it's because of your age, Mike. <laughs> when I was growing up, Tony Campolo was one of those speakers that, man, if he was speaking, you were going. And uh, he would have a tendency to be able to rip you open in a really good way. He also was one of those individuals who spit a lot when he spoke. And so if you're like Zach down here on the front row, you would bring an umbrella because it was just a continual <laughs> flow of saliva coming from Tony Campolo. But Tony Campolo was a sociology professor and a Christian believer at an East Coast school. And Tony Campolo said this, that he was eating a meal in Haiti once. He started to pick up his fork and eat when he glanced to the window, which was near his table, and saw the faces of little hungry Haitian children, faces pressed against the glass, watching him eat, mesmerized. For a moment, he said, I had an awful feeling of guilt and sat poised, not knowing whether to eat or not. Then the waiter stopped over and said, Sir, don't let this bother you. And he pulled the blinds. I laid my fork down, unable to eat that meal. He says, he said, it's so like the American culture to forget to thank God for what we have, to pull the blinds and forget that we are part of the 6% of the world that has, enough con that has enough continually to eat again and again and again. And then he gives the exhortation to give thanksgiving. You know, it's uh, interesting when you look at statistics. I spent some time looking this week. How many people die in a year due to hunger? And it's a debated statistic because a lot of times people don't actually die from not having food. But what they're dying from is because they were malnourished and they were malnourished at the very young age. Even infants 
being breastfed and not breastfed for a long enough period of time and not having the proteins. And so this malnourishment of very young age causes them to be handicapped in many ways. And they'll end up um, passing away. But while we're sitting here for, let's say, some of you say we sit here for a while sometimes, but uh, <laughs> in an hour, hour and a half, five to six people will die of hunger. And you begin to multiply that, and it's up in the 12, 15 million kind of people, and you're going like, really? And, and we're like, just pull the blinds. You, can you do that, Dan? Get that other blind pulled down there, and we're all, we're all good. We just pull the blinds down. And it's easy for us to live in a, a myopic world. Part of it is because as human beings, it's hard to take on the burdens and cares of everybody. In fact, I realized that this week as I was watching the news. You know, we if you watch the news on a regular basis, it can sort of get you down because there's just tragedy and trauma and death one after another. And it seems to be those things are the highlights you get put on a newsreel. We got the whole tragedy up in uh, the, the, the fire zone areas. And if you're praying for that, continue to pray for our sister church up in Paradise, which is housing 400 people. Um, from uh, Paradise, California, that uh, are homeless. But many in their congregation, as they're gathered this morning, are missing, and they still don't know where they're at. A good number of people in that larger Alliance church don't have homes. And you go, that's just tragic. And then the wildfires closer, and then the shootings, and then this trauma, or that person being killed on interstate. And it has this... I don't want to say it has a numbing or dulling effect. I, as a human being, I cannot emotionally continue to empathize deeply at every single turn with every individual trauma. I am not wired. You are not wired that way as a human being. But we should have empathy and emotion for those in need at different times. That's why there's God. That Jesus can take and carry on that kind of burden. So I'm not going to throw out, do you know how many people die while we're sitting here in service because of hunger and then you get to eat? I don't like the guilt trip kind of thing. But there is something about saying, let's make sure we keep the blinds open with the kids' faces that are smashed against the glass and realize that we are very, very fortunate people. You may be limited in your income. I may feel that I'm limited in our income. But if you take the income of everybody in the whole world with 6, 7 billion people, we are in the top 10%. Attitude of gratitude needs to be a consistent theme of our life for the provisions God has given us, but most importantly, for the source of our salvation, which comes through him. Habakkuk 3.17 says this, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. You ready for Thanksgiving week? We all should be. Even if there's no fig tree budding, no grapes on the vines, your olive crop's failed, no produce, no sheep in the pen. You name it, bring it on. What don't you got going? What don't you got going? And the scriptures just simply say, doesn't matter. You've got your life. You've got your salvation. You've got food on your table. You've got the hope of a future. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. 
Psalm 37, 25 says this, I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging bread. Good verses to warm up your kitchen with this week for Thanksgiving meal. Just set them around. Maybe when you pause to do the Thanksgiving prayer and get everybody off their phones, which I would trust, and it's, it's a rule, and, and there's statistics and studies now being done, which are a little scary. Keep the phones away from the table, beginning with Carrie. <laughs> Engage. Spend time with one another. Thank the Lord. So even if things aren't going well, there is reason to be grateful and rejoice for God's goodness. Hebrews 12:28 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let us be thankful. We are receiving something and have received it if Christ is in us that far extends beyond all the issues of our life and what's going on. You and I should be thankful and we should worship the Lord acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming, a consuming fire. It's said that a lot of the ungratefulness today can end up coming because we do believe it's our circumstances that we've sort of forged and brought about self-made and we really don't see God in the picture as being the provider. And so if we don't see God as the provider, then why would we go to him as being someone that we're thankful to? We've actually reversed the rules when it comes to our own salvation even, and we sit around and decide if we're going to choose and pick God. Are we going to choose and pick Jesus? He is sort of the one that's on the stand, and, and we're the judge. Rather than it being the other way around, This is his world. This is his kingdom. He has created all things. And he is the good and faithful, perfect judge. And he knows the the desires and the dispositions of people's heart. But God is no longer on trial. Jesus is no longer on trial. He rose from the grave. But if we get that thing flipped around and turned around where we think we're making decisions about God and his credibility in our life, rather than us realizing that he's asking, where are the other nine at? Then we will not have a heart of gratitude. And so we have to work faithfully on this whole thing of understanding that we are receiving a kingdom. The kingdom is the reign and the rule of God. It's the reign and the rule of God in your life. It comes first in your heart. You make a decision to cross the line of faith for Jesus to come and reign in your life. One of these days he's coming back again and he's using this between now and then to help make the wrongs right in this world for his kingdom to come about on earth as it is in heaven as his high priestly prayer spoke to us. But we are a part of a kingdom That will never end. And as Christ's followers, we are receiving that kingdom, his reign and leadership in our life on a daily basis. And it will not be shaken. So let us be thankful. We are the one he is looking at. Are you part of the 90%? Are you the part of the one of the 10? And he wants us to walk forward with his deep, sincere gratitude as a individual, as a family, but also as a church for who he is. You're familiar with this verse, most likely, on a Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. 
His faithfulness continues through all generations. You know how they sang this? Jerusalem was up on a hill. And so they would do these marches into Jerusalem, right? They were headed to the temple to worship. They were going to church. They're all getting in their cars, right? They're heading there. They rolled the windows down. They blared the music a little bit. And they're declaring, declaring we are going to enter his gates with thanksgiving. We're going to enter his courts with praise. We're going to give thanks and praise him for the Lord. He's good. His love, man, it just endures forever. Got up again this morning. I get to go work for him this week and serve his purposes. I have food on my table. My kids aren't pressing their faces against a window outside of my family table. Oh, his faithfulness just continues from one generation to the next, from my kids to the next. Now, look how it was passed down to me. That's the attitude we need to come to church with. Not, I can't believe they were late getting up this morning. Or, man, I don't know. Is it really worth going there for? I don't get that much out of it. That music, sometimes I really like it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes that pastor, he's on it, sometimes he's not. Consumer mindset? What are you coming to church for? Are you coming into his courts with thanksgiving and praise for what he's done or how he's working in your life? You know, we transitioned from this facility to another great, a great facility and great location to serve the greater part of Temecula Valley. Wouldn't it be great to be known as that's the church you walk into and those people are on it. They're real. They're not fakey, but they have a spirit of gratitude and appreciation for all that God's provided them in their life. It's sort of contagious. Do you like to be around people that are contagious in a good way? They're sort of the pick-me-up. I mean, you do not expect Tiffany Axine to ever stand up here on the stage and go, miserable day, isn't it? <laughs> no, no. Another one of those weeks. Well, I know what her weeks are like and some of the things going on in her life, but she carries a spirit of praise. And not just Tiff, many of you do. But all of us should. It helps provide not only the character for us as a church, it's our means of evangelism and outreach that we would be a people that are grateful. It's contagious. I want to be around those with a positive attitude. I don't want somebody kicking me in the pants every day or pointing out my faults. It's a tedious line for us as parents, right? We have to tough love at the same time we have to affirm. But for us as a body of people and doing our outreach and being the church God's called us to be, we got to get a hold of this verse every day we drive to the new location. Every day. Because God has called us to be a people that come back and fall at His knees, thanking Him with a loud voice. So, our simple exhortation, as we look at some of the transition in the weeks ahead for the church, but it comes about us individually choosing to make this decision not to be the other 90%. Thanksgiving is an adjustment of attitude towards God-centered appreciation. And it's an attitude adjustment all the time. Some of you ever had your parents tell you you need an attitude adjustment? Some of you parents ever have your kids tell you, Mom, Dad, you need an attitude of judgment. Well, we're here to encourage one. Now, they're not in a demeaning, snickering, kind of belittling or overpowering kind of way. You need an attitude adjustment. What is that adjustment? Oh, you just got to be thankful. Thank God. No. Work at it this way. 
see the attitude adjustment as becoming God-centered, not self-centered. God-centered. So when you're tempted to be self-centered, move to God's perspective. His kingdom will last forever. We are a part of that. We will live forever. These trials in life will pass. I don't care how deep in the thicket you are today and you don't think you're ever going to get out of this woods. God will lead you out. God-centered attitude adjustments. That's what Thanksgiving is. But I also think Thanksgiving is something just a little bit more than that. And this is the challenge I want to close with. Thanksgiving is evidenced by the action of engagement with salvation-needy sinners. Friends, our calling as a thankful people entering His courts every day with thanksgiving in our hearts is to have our eyes adjusted to be God-centered, but also to be other-oriented. Our future as a body of people is to move away from consumer Christianity, self-centered living, and become broken about the leopards. You too at one time had those skin scabs and infections all over your body. Not externally, but internally. Your sins have been forgiven if you've become a chosen follower of Christ. Past, present, and future sins. His grace covers all. You're clean. You're clean. And as a clean person, you should not be hesitant to touch the untouchables because you were one of those. You upset with somebody today that's not doing you right? There's a good possibility. Sometimes it's followers of Christ, which is really traumatic and hard and even more harder than people that are not Christ followers. But it's predictable. They are self-centered and they need to become God-centered, just like you are working to have an attitude adjustment to be God-centered every day. And for you to have a spirit of thanksgiving, it's not only verbalizing it around the table, and I trust you take opportunity to do that, maybe just share what you appreciate about family members or other loved ones or friends that are around your thanksgiving table this week. But, but to take those thoughts that are God-centered and to move them to be other-oriented, And to see that we have a salvation-needy world. People fall in all different kinds of angles. G.K. Chesterton once said, it's not the angle at which you fall, but it's the way that you can stand straight in Christ. I don't care how you've fallen, how the people around you have fallen. They could be promiscuous. They could be addicted to, to some type of chemical. They could be liars. They could be cheaters. They could be underminers. They could just be indifferent, indifferent, apathetic people that could care, couldn't care less about God, whatever it may be. But I don't care what angle which you fall, but there's only one angle you can stand straight that's in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ wants to use you to reach the leopards. We who are part of the 90%, for us to come back and thank Jesus requires an attitude adjustment that's God-centered. But it also requires evidence by actions where we engage, engage a needy world. 1 John 1.9 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And do what? (laughs) And cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. I trust today that your cup can be full as you seek to become God-centered in your Thanksgiving week. And as you take opportunity to reach out to those who need his salvation. If you're here today and you've never been saved, it's a very simple thing. The word says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You're going to confess your sins, and probably not all of them. It's the sinful nature, right? The skin disease of the leopards, you know, it, it, it was underneath the skin. They were leopards because that was a part of what their very essence was. You are a sinner because you have a sinful nature. And so you repent of your sins, which is I've been headed this direction, and then you turn and he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all forgiveness. When you turn to Jesus Christ, to those who come to him, he will never cast out. I always wonder what happened to the other nine. What happened to the one? What was his growth and success trajectory in life compared to the other nine? I don't know. Maybe we'll meet him. I'm not saying the other nine were ungrateful. Maybe they're just distracted. But I just wonder, you can be saved today. And you can continue to be the light that shines into the darkness of your world to help salvation-needy people come to know Christ and be thankful as well. I want to invite Joe to come up. I want to interview him for just a second. Yay, Joe! I'll bring Joe up just so the kids reconnect with me up here. It's like, oh, Joe's up now. Okay, I can listen. (laughs) All right. So, Joe, you're taking a group of uh, 20 kids right after church here in 45 minutes. I hope you're ready. Um, Ready as we can be. To to a little overnight retreat. Yes. I would like you to share with the body what you're doing with this group of high school kids, not the middle school kids. Middle school kids have a retreat coming over the park. So, um, you got a high school retreat. And you've got a specific subject matter, I think, that applies to this whole thing of, of becoming grateful for what Jesus did yes. in our life, but also mobilizing our students to help reach salvation-needy students. Absolutely. So, share what's our retreat, and give me that little thing you gave me the other day. Absolutely. We are going to be doing a discipleship-intensive retreat for the high schoolers. It's different than some of the camps that we do, winter camp, summer camp, where we have middle school and high school. We build community. But this camp, we are going to be focusing on a couple topics. We're going to be talking about apologetics and how to defend our faith. But before doing that, we're going to be talking about the types of faith that we have. And we talked a little bit about this at our gospel groups on Thursdays, that there's three types of faith you can kind of really have. You can have a blind faith, you can have an inherited faith, and then you can have an authentic faith. And sometimes people have this faith just because they had a feeling once and they really just coasted off that one feeling and never really 
reached out to a God and really tried to build that relationship. They could have inherited faith that comes from their friends or their families. They've been raised in church, and they've seen it so much that they say, well, it's just been a part of my life. But then there's that level of stepping over to that authentic faith. And we want students to have a faith that if they didn't have their families, they would still be thankful. A faith that if they didn't have friends, they would still be thankful. If every feeling they felt ever again was nothing but bad ones, they would still be thankful. And that is something that we're going to talk about because it's in that that we're able to really not just defend our faith, but not win arguments, but win hearts and lives. Because those people don't know you, but they're hurting. And they don't realize that they're not just an enemy of them. They're not an enemy of them. They're really just hurting, and they feel like they're an enemy of God when God is really wanting to bring them to a place of love. And so we're going to talk about how do we deal with people who, who shut us down as Jesus would, not just for the sake of being right. And so that's one of our big things we're going to be talking about this whole week and really pointing them to scriptures that they can really not just turn to in the Bible, but really memorize and be able to quote as truth and build that, that bridge from inherited or blind faith, feeling faith as we called it, to an authentic faith. So. Isn't that great? Yeah. That's an awesome journey to be on. Thank yes. you, Joe. Um, I know there were a lot of salvation-needy friends of mine when I was in school. But I tell you what, the journey that our students are on these days in this world. Oh, yeah. We were talking on forward. Thursday. One of the most amazing things about our students that I told them I was impressed with is a lot of times people understand their relationship with Jesus. And then once they finally kind of get it, they go out and able to share. Mm. But these kids... We had questions that they asked, and some of these questions thought, oh, man, I thought they already knew that, and they didn't. But they do the most amazing job of with what little they do understand, going out and sharing it with friends. That each week, this last two, three months we've shared, every week at least two or three new students come every week from a student inviting somebody. And you don't do that with something that you don't really understand. But they do. They understand that there's something greater and that there's something more powerful and it's changed their life to a degree they even understand that they don't understand. <laughs> and they're willing to share that every week at Woman's Night Heart going, wow, no matter what these kids' weeks look like, uh, on gospel groups and we share, there's a lot more lows than there are highs. But they still keep trying to bring people. And I think that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. Can we just pray for them on their retreat? Lord Jesus, we thank you that today... As uh, some of our high school students go with Joe and the young adult team over to uh, the beach area to have an overnighter on the beach, we pray, God, for safety in their life. Um, We pray for the enrichment of their community and their friendship one with another. But, Lord, we pray for the equipping of their life to be able to come to a more solidified position of their faith that's authentic. And, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would equip them to be able to reach those who are needy. Lord, may we be a church that's always embracing, reaching the younger generation, whether with our children or with our students. We pray, Lord Jesus, your blessing upon them in this season of their life, for this weekend, for this overnighter. Lord, take and use it in ways that we will not even know until eternity is called. 
because of the impact our students can make with others. Lord, we thank you in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. As they come up, there you go. Is it just Joe? Oh. Um, I want to give news to you guys concerning our relocation effort that I got a text yesterday um, from, I won't go into all of it, but it was one of the multiple powers that be in a multiple tier of people that need to sign off for us. And it appeared to be the breaking point. And um, we are being able to move towards uh, being able to secure our assembly occupancy issues, uh, which were dependent on some parking issues, not because there's not enough parking, but just because there's a lot of other people in this retail strip center and things going on. And I don't know if it's two weeks from today or three weeks from today, if we need to get permission for that first weekend to be in here. We will, but we are making the crossing. And one of the things that's exciting. <laughs> one of the things, and I hope I don't have to eat those words, but it appeared that I started to see the thumbs up in some directions we've been having our bold prayers for, for this long journey we've been on this summer and this fall. Um, there's a, a lot to be excited about, not just facility-wise, but the location and the position of ministry. All of us are scattered from around this area here, French Valley, this neighborhood's behind, some other kinds of places, but we have people scattered all the way over there, all the way into Wildemar. If you did the push pins for us, we are not moving outside of our strategic location who we're currently reaching, but we're having a location where we can, I believe, reach broader and a trafficked area um, that we can seize opportunity for. And so I want you to come tonight. Uh, this is a Thanksgiving meal for us to be thankful for the facility, for what God has done salvation-wise in our church, but thankful for an opportunity that really stands before us. We did some of the cleaning up yesterday. Bathrooms are all clean, everybody, if you've been there recently. They're good to go. I so thank those people who cleaned the bathrooms yesterday. But there is, uh, there's uh, a fresh spirit in your pastor that's starting to get stored. I'm like, oh, oh, it's going to happen. This is such an incredible opportunity for us to do ministry in this location. Um, in fact, Debbie, you had an opportunity to talk to somebody yesterday on the way out the door, right? And she was asking, what's going on here? And you said there's going to be a church. And she was like, good. <laughs> that's great. So it used to be a gym. That's what it was. We're turning it into a church facility. And she's excited about coming to be a part of it. Ushers, come at this time to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. May we be thankful with our gifts. Our financial gifts reflect a gracious heart. You're giving to the Lord. You're not giving to the church. Always remember that. Let's close with this song, and we'll head you into your week.